Our scripture this morning is from the uh, New Testament. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who longed longed for his appearing. This is the word of our Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, your word is good and it is true. We pray that it would be the foundation upon which we build build our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you were attuned to the church calendar, I don't mean our church calendar, but the church calendar, this is the first Sunday of Christmas also known as Christmas Sunday. And the reading scheduled for this week, if you're following a church calendar, would be Matthew chapter 2 in the story of the wise men and the flights to Egypt, which is the passage I used last week. So not using it again, using 2 Timothy instead, because it's not just the first day of Christmas, it's not just the uh, Sunday of Christmas, It's the last Sunday of the year, and it's a good time to look back, do your Spotify kind of wrap, and, you know, what was the highlights and lowlights of the year, and to look forward. Um, When I look back at the past year and the year of ministry here at uh, Christ Community, one of the highlights of the year was the Dash for Shelter. Uh, the, the 5K run that our church participated in. It was one of the highlights for me because I did virtually nothing for it, just handed it off to the right person who ran with it. Like, pun intended. Uh, I can still get puns in, right? Uh, and it was just, it was awesome. We had 46, I think it was, people sign up to do this, by far the most of any church in Bloomington. And it was just a great opportunity to be together as community and support the community. I was dreading the actual run, but even that part of it was enjoyable. I I had a great partner, Sean, and I ran slash walked that 5K together. And we were about a mile in to our, you know, we had a great pace. We were walking, great pace going. Uh, And those people who had gone out fast ahead of us were, had already turned around and were coming back. It was an out and back. 
And so we started seeing people that were, were familiar. I think the first person we saw from our church was Rick Hollinger. He was out there, one of the leaders of the race. Uh, Sarah Rader was out there, Chris Basham, Cliff Huggins. And they're starting to come back, and they're all telling us the halfway point wasn't marked. They, a lot of them had run like an extra quarter mile past that mark. Uh, and so they're telling us, you know, be careful you don't go too far, which I definitely didn't want to go too far. So I was paying close attention. The race taught me three things. A, one, I'm not a runner. Already knew that. B, it's good to pay attention to those who are out ahead of you. They might have some important information for you. And three, or C, it's good to take your bearings every once in a while. Rick realized they had run past the halfway point because he was taking his bearings on his GPS watch. It's good to take your bearings. This morning, I want to encourage us to take our bearings a little bit, to ask ourselves if our pattern of living will sustain us and, and get us to the finish line, if, if it'll carry us all the way to the eternal prize. The passage that Sean read was 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 8. I'm not focusing on that entire passage, just on verses 6 through 8. So if you have a Bible and want to turn there, it's 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 to 8. And the context of this passage is really important because this is likely the last letter Paul wrote. He is under arrest, uh, under house arrest, and facing imminent execution. His trial has not gone well. He's felt abandoned by his close friends who felt it convenient to be elsewhere while he was on trial. And now he is at the last stages of his life writing a letter to a young protege, pastor, missionary, Timothy, and giving him instructions. In verse 6, Paul uses a couple metaphors to describe his impending end. He talks about being a drink offering referring to Old Testament sacrifices where drink offerings were, were poured out on the altar. He's like, my life is being poured out. I am being offered as a sacrifice. And he says, I, my departure is near. The, the word he uses for departure was often used for ships loosing their moorings to set off on their journey. Gives you images a little bit of Lord of the Rings and the final return of the king when Bilbo and Frodo set off with the elves on that final journey to the undying land. Paul is at the end of his life and he's writing to this younger man in the faith. In this passage, he uses three images to describe his life thus far. His life that is being held up to Timothy as a model. Follow what I have done. The images, fighting, running, and keeping, could be interpreted all as athletic metaphors. I have fought the good fight in the boxing ring, in the wrestling arena. I have run the race like a marathon, and I have 
kept the faith. I have kept the rules. I haven't been disqualified. If that's what Paul is doing using these athletic images, then the emphasis is on perseverance and being victorious. But I think probably Paul is pulling from three different arenas of life. One athletic, one military, and one the the arena of being a, a steward or a guardian of something entrusted to you. And he's pulling from these three different areas of life, emphasizing three different aspects, three different challenges related to the Christian life. Each one of these, elsewhere in Paul's writings, are offered as commands. Run the race, keep the faith, fight the good fight. What Paul has commanded elsewhere, here he is saying, that's what I've done. So follow my pattern of living. Uh, the first image he uses is of a, the, it's a military metaphor, fighting the good fight. In 1 Timothy, the first letter he writes to this young man, Paul tells him to wage the good war or fight the good fight. In 1 Timothy 1.18, it's wage the good warfare. In 1 Timothy 6, it's fight the good fight. And then we have it here again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. New Testament scholar Greg Beale said that this is a very common phrase in the ancient Greco-Roman world. Used in the Roman world, it was a, a patriotic warfare idiom for a person who perseveres in loyalty to king and to country by fighting wars and campaigns to preserve the welfare of the kingdom. As a result, a person earns a reputation for being a good and honorable citizen. Paul's picking up that common idiom, that common phrase, and he's transforming it into a Christian use. He's not just translating it into a Christian use. He's transforming it. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not coterminous with any earthly kingdom. Certainly not Rome not even the Holy Roman Empire, not America. So fighting the good fight is not fighting for country, but fighting for the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That came out kind of King James-ish. I'm reluctant to use the language of of spiritual warfare because that language, that concept has been so overused, misused, even in really silly type ways, and downright abused by those who want to leverage it for power. But it is a concept that is all over the New Testament, all over Paul's writings. But when he talks about fighting the good fight or or a spiritual warfare, he is not talking about fighting against culture. He is not talking about fighting for the soul of the nation. He is not talking about a physical war or political machinations. In this context, he's not even talking about fighting against injustice. Yes, for Paul, 
It meant fighting for the church, but not against external threats, like culture, but against internal threats, like false teaching and pervasive sin. It was fighting for the church, but not fighting for the church's rights, but fighting for the church's gospel holiness. But even more for Paul, it was a battle against our own pride, our own sin, our own temptation, our spiritual lethargy. It's a fight against doubt. It's a fight for love. It's a fight for holiness. It's a fight for the gospel in life. But this military imagery, it demonstrates that there's an aggressiveness to it. We're not just passive in this. We're engaged in a fight. The second image is the athletic image. Run the race. It's again a common image in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul says all all runners run the race, but only one wins the prize. So run is one who's trying to win the prize. In Hebrews 12, which may have been written by Paul, but likely not, It says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Think about a race, about running. What does it imply? Well, it implies movement, right? Progression towards the finish line. It's not stagnancy. It's movement. And the New Testament makes it clear it's not a sprint, but a marathon. That's why Hebrews calls for endurance as you run. Slow, steady, plodding maybe, but progression towards the goal. Staying the course and finishing is the victory. The third image is that of stewardship. I've kept the faith. Kept the deposit that was entrusted to me as a steward guards or watches that which he has been given care of. Again, it's a command elsewhere in Scripture. 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. 2 Timothy 1, guard the deposit that was given to you. Now, Paul could mean guard the faith, the set doctrines of beliefs that had been handed against you. Guard them against false teachers. Guard them against corruption. That is the work of Timothy, who was a pastor. It's been the work of apologists and theologians. But I think Paul also means guard your faith. I have guarded my faith. I have protected it against lethargy, against doubt, against lovelessness. I have kept my faith warm and sincere and deep. Three images, military, stewardship, and athletic. All meant to communicate, I think, that the Christian life is not easy. Uh, Charles Taylor wrote extensively about the challenge of faith in the modern secular age. He makes the point frequently and at great length uh, that faith is now more difficult in the modern world than unbelief. Unbelief comes more naturally than faith. 
It's harder now. But genuine faith has never been easy. There was a semblance of easiness, maybe. But genuine faith is not easy. That's why I love the way Paul puts this in these verses. This isn't grandiose kind of terminology. It's, I endured. I finished. I persevered. Not I conquered. Not I was victorious here. In 1 Corinthians, he talks about running to win. 1 Corinthians was one of the first books Paul wrote. As a young man, younger at least, 10, 15 years before he wrote 2 Timothy. By the time you get to 2 Timothy, there's maybe a bit more reflection, a bit more humility. It's not run to win, it's just finish. That is the winning. It's as if Paul is saying, I took my lumps in life. I'm bloody and bludgeoned, but I'm still standing. I finished the fight. I ran the race. I might have limped through a few miles, but I got across the finish line. And now the prize, the crown of righteousness. How do we take this model that Paul gives us of a well-lived life and apply it to our lives? Well, I think in part that depends on what stage of life you're at. Like what stage of the race you're in. You know, you don't want to pour it on too early. I don't know, I don't run. (laughs) But maybe you're at the start of your spiritual journey. You're still youth. You're still young in your faith. Most of the race is still ahead of you. How do you take what Paul is saying here and translate it into your experience? Well, I think you start by recognizing that there is a finish line. There is a time that will come for your departure. We don't talk much about death and dying We tend to hide from it and hide it from our sight. Don't do that. Reason from it. Start with the goal of what you want to be able to say as you're departing and work backwards. Start with the goal and build from it. What do you want to say at the end of your life? How do you build your life now to get there? How will you get to the end of your life and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Take that big goal and then start breaking it down into smaller goals. That's the way you would do it if you were choosing a career, right? If you want to be an engineer, you're going to choose certain schools to go to. Probably not this one. You're going to have to go across state. Be a boiler maker. So you're going to pick your school. And then when you get to the school, you're going to pick your major and declare your major. 
so that you can move ahead towards the goal of being an engineer. And then once you've picked your major, you've got to pick your individual classes for that semester. And then within the class, you've got to make progress towards passing the class and get your paper written. And so you might have to check out the books. There's all these small steps towards the bigger goal. That is also true in your spiritual life. Plan for growth. Plan for progress. Take steps one day after the next, one year after the next. One of those key steps that is critically important is finding and staying in a community of faith. At each stage of life, the community of faith is absolutely important. Not many boxers train well alone. Not many runners enjoy running alone. Plan for growth, and one of the key things is finding that community of faith. Maybe you're not at the beginning of the race anymore. Maybe you're mid-course. You're in the midst of life and of your Christian walk. You've got a whole bunch of road behind you, and you still got a whole bunch ahead of you. How do you take what Paul is saying and apply it to your situation? Well, it's good to take your bearings, right? Where am I? Am I progressing towards my goal? Am I staying faithful and keeping faith? And now's a really good time to pay attention to warning signs. When I was in college, between my sophomore and junior years, I had signed on with the United States Marine Corps for the OCS, Officer Candidate School. And so between sophomore and junior year, I went to Quantico, Virginia for the first stage of training. And within a few days, I developed blisters on my heels from the boots. And being young and dumb and macho, I just tried to push through the pain. I didn't pay attention to the warning signs. And they got worse, and they got worse, to the point where they were almost down to bone. And then they got infected. And then the infection spread into the skin and cellulitis. And because I was walking bad, I got Achilles tendonitis. And that ended my dream of being in the Marine Corps. I got sent home on crutches. All because I didn't pay attention to something that was fixable. I didn't pay attention to the warning signs. That can happen in our spiritual lives, too. Little things on the dashboard blinking, and you ignore it. Or you pull out the fuse for the warning light. (laughs) Maybe you've just become less attentive to spiritual things. Maybe for years now the kids have taken priority or career took priority. Nothing wrong with kids, usually. Nothing wrong with (laughs) career. But it's meant less time with the Lord maybe less regular attendance in church, 
less familiar with the voice of the Spirit. And it all just becomes the norm. And you're not paying attention to the warning signs. Maybe it's sins that have crept in and you've just become comfortable with them. Well, Hebrews warns against that. Beware of those sins that so easily entangle and will end up sidelining you from the race. Maybe you're past the midway point in your life. Maybe you're on the last lap and the bell is sounded and you can see the finish line. What do you do with Paul's words? Well, he's calling you to keep going. Finish strong. Not just to coast, but to go, to finish. You know, you can run five miles, ten miles, twenty miles in a marathon. But if you don't cross the finish line, you don't get the medal. The crown doesn't go to those who almost finished the race, who fought a few rounds but then threw in the towel, or who gave up the faith. If you're in that stage of life, let me just encourage you. You've kept the faith for so long. You've kept believing for so long. You've kept trusting. Keep doing it just a little while longer till faith becomes sight, till you receive the reward. Are you weary? I understand. Realize the strength doesn't come for you to persevere, though. Strength comes from God's grace. You see that all through this letter to Timothy. In the very beginning, he's calling Timothy to be strong and to stay the course. But he says also, God will guard what I have committed to him. I'm giving him my life. God will guard it and preserve me. He calls us to guard the deposit, but he says, you'll have help from the Holy Spirit. To Timothy, he says, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. You're on that last lap. You may be weary, but God is not. Lean more and more on him in that last stage. One day, every single one of us, should the Lord tarry, will depart. I pray that we will all be able to say with Paul, we have fought the good fight. We have run the race. We have kept the faith. Will you pray with me? Father, that is what you have called us to, to a life of steadfast faithfulness, of perseverance, of consistent living under your banner. And Father, if it were up to us alone, we would all fail. We thank you for your spirit. Your spirit is the deposit that guarantees our eternal reward. Father, we pray that you would, through your Spirit, preserve us, 
through your grace, strengthen us and help us to cross that finish line. In Jesus' name, amen.